Did you remember to turn off those robots? Uh. Oh, my siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Oh, look at all the people. Welcome to Lou Mangello's Enchanted WDW Radio Podcast. Hey, Michael, mi amigo, pay attention, it's show time. So it is. Pierre, you rascal. Let's get ready to put on the show. Mon ami, I am always ready, as you say, to put on the show. As is my good friend Fritz. Ah, to leaper. You're all staring at us. We better get this show rolling. Wait, wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the podcaster. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in once again to the WDW Radio Show. I'm Lou Mangello, author of the Walt Disney World Trivia Books and owner of DisneyWorldTrivia.com. On this week's show, we talk about this year's Magic Meets event in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, with friend and founder Fred Block, who also decides to join me in the news and views from Walt Disney World segment, as well as my visit to the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill. We're going to cover a whole lot of different topics there, including the little one's travel time, WDW Resort Upgrades, Disney Weddings, Epcot, The Haunted Mansion, and more. We also invite in another expert who offers her opinion as we discuss the new ships slated for the Disney Cruise Line. Jeff Pepper joins me once again in the fun as he and I do another Disney scene investigation of a favorite dining location filled with hidden treasures and wonderful details. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm sure you've heard me talk about the Magic Meets, uh, which is a yearly gathering of Disney fans up here in the Northeast. I've been an attendee and participant since its inception three years ago, and it's really something that I look forward to every year. And of course, this year is no exception as the meet is now bigger. It's in a better venue in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and it's going to take place on Saturday, July 14th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. There are speakers, presentations, tables with vendors from Disney uh, communities, merchandise. We have a a charity auction for the Dream Team. There is so much more. And this year, uh, the event's going to be open to 500 people, increasing from the 350 people that sold out very, very quickly, I might add, last year. But rather than me talk about what's going on with this year's event, I said, why not bring on someone who not only defines the magic meat, but he's the brains and the passion behind it, a man who truly gets what the magic really is, and a person I'm proud to call my friend, Mr. Fred Block. (laughs) (laughs) And the crowd goes mad. (laughs) Wow, what an intro. How you doing, Lou? Good, Fred. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show. Uh, Proud to be here. Proud to be here. But I wanted to, uh, I was planning this week on talking a bit about the Magic Meets, so I said, why not just have you come on and give everybody kind of an update as to where we are really in the planning and preparations for this year's event. 
needless to say, I, as well as many other people, are very, very excited about this year's event. Can you give us an idea of really where we are? You know, people have been kind of looking forward to when they can start registering, when they can start paying. Where are we now in that process? Well, <clears throat> the registration system has been open for a little while now, and uh, and we have we actually uh, the registration system is the is the part that lets us know how many people are actu actually interested in attending the event. Um, so last Monday, uh, as part of the registration system, we opened up payments, which allow you to actually pay for the tickets to uh, to get into the event. And uh, wow, I'm, I'm overwhelming. The overwhelming response has been incredible. Uh, within two and a half days, we sold as many tickets uh, as I had an entire headcount for last year's event. You know, which means we sold about 350 tickets within two and a half days. Wow, wow! I I said I said for a long time this event was going to sell out very very quickly. I certainly didn't expect that kind of response. Yeah, you know, a lot of people were telling me the same thing. You know, and and I guess you know I'm I'm the ultimate you know person that needs to. I guess I wait. I always wait, and I always second guess myself, but. You know, I'm very humbled by it, and and actually, right now, as effective as of right now, I think we're just over 400 people now. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, Monday will be a full week, so who who knows how many tickets we'll have at that point? Well, clearly, you know, if you're listening to the show um, and you're interested in going and you haven't paid yet, now is the time to do it because you know, once that once you hit 500, that's it. Correct? There's going to be no, um, you know, it's not going to be 510. It's going to be 500 is your limit. Yeah, I'm I'm cutting it off at 500. I got to make sure that I don't grow more than, you know, more than I can handle. Last year we were at 350 people, so you know, already at 500, we're adding 150 on top of that, and and you know, and the comfort level thing is important, and and I also don't want to make it so that there's too many people and it becomes more of a convention type atmosphere rather than the banquet style and reception style atmosphere that we have now. Right. So for for both the people that are attending and the people who are interested in attending. Uh, tell us about some of the speakers and vendors and whatnot that you have lined up that are going to be in attendance. Wow, uh, you know, uh, we, we we have a lot more actually. You know, every year I keep adding to the to the long list of people who really support me and 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 also attend and and, and speak at my event. Uh, and and again, also people that help make the event what it is, uh, along with my volunteers. Uh, you know, we we have Steve Barrett coming back again. You know, he's going to be he's going to be a sponsor and also talking. I'm guessing. Um, you know, Mike Scope is coming back. Deb Wills is coming back. Of course, you're coming back. Um, you know, uh, John Rick will be coming back. Who who who, to me, brings a very big piece to 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 the event. You know, the pin trading aspect I think is a key piece of Disney. And and John is obviously such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to pin trading. You know, I, I don't think that the event would be the same without having that pin atmosphere there. So so I'm very excited to have John and you know coming back again. And and John, such as yourself, also has been coming to to the event, you know, since its inception. And he single-handedly got me suckered into this whole pin thing. <laughs> this guy's cost me a lot of money since I've met him. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. When your kids get a little older, you're really going to be in the poorhouse. But... <laughs> So, and, um, you know, and then, you know, Chris Carlson is returning again. Uh, He's the author of and, Disney on a Dime. That's correct. And uh, and this year, you know, uh, Tim Foster uh, has, uh, is going to be coming. He's new to, to the event and, uh, and will probably be doing some type of a talk. Uh, I know Tim Devine is returning again. Um, 
wow, I mean, it, it's it's just getting longer and longer, and you know, more sponsors is going to be a, you know a lot of a lot of great sponsors. One of them, which is happens to be Segway of Central Pennsylvania. Uh, we're going to be giving them uh, a, a sizable amount of, of space to be able to do demonstrations on uh, Segway personal transporters, and we all we've all seen those, uh, you know, gliding around uh, Epcot before, I'm sure. So people will actually so, be able to to try out a Segway at no cost. They can actually get a little training and, and give it a shot. Yep, that's exactly it. It's going to be a you know big enough space where you know you'll get to go, you'll get to stand on one, and somebody who's experienced in teaching you what you need to do to to ride it and stand on it, and you'll see. I mean, it takes one minute for you to get accustomed to it, and you know, and you're you're a proof of that, Lou. You know, you've you've seen that yourself. So, I mean, once you get that balance thing down, you start riding it a little bit. You know, you'll get a little, you'll get a time to like go up and turn around, and you know, that's it's going to be a small controlled space, but yeah, everybody should be able to get a chance to ride on one yeah very cool very cool and, and i know you have some other people that you're going to kind of announce uh, as time goes on they're going to be sponsored so we'll have to kind of tease just a little bit as the event gets closer but um... you got i can't let everything <laughs> out of the bag you know in one shot you know you got to keep everybody thinking you know that's one of my big things i like to, i like to let little bits of information out as we go because it, it keeps the meat fresh and and you know and it shows that i'm constantly working on trying to make it better throughout the year yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun for anybody that's never been there before. I, I really, I'm sincere, I'm not just saying it because you're here, Fred, but I really do enjoy it, and I look forward to it. And if you want more information, you want to see some pictures from some of the old meets, um, as well as links to the hotel, some frequently asked questions, you can go to magicmeets.com. I'll put a link up to that um, in the show notes. And if you have any questions for Fred, I'm sure you can email him right from the uh, right from the website. And you got nothing. Okay, so. <laughs> I, I didn't know where you were going with it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm just here as a special guest. If you want me to follow up with something, you got to leave me. And I just, I, I thought there was more coming. <laughs> well, you know what? Why don't you, um, rather, rather than me kicking you out right now, what do you say you hang out with me and uh, as I kind of do some news and views from Walt Disney World as well as jump right into the Walt Disney World rumor mill? Uh, wow, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'd, I'd love to. Oh, hey, look, it's my dime, why not? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if people can put up with listening to me, you know, that's great, you know. Don't be don't, don't be afraid, of, you know, if you hear people saying, you know, oh, you know, boy, you know, this guy Fred really doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I cancel my registration to Magic Meets, you'll know why. Anyway. <laughs> All right, let's, um, let's move right in and start off with some news and views from Walt Disney World. All right, some of the big news in uh, Disney this week isn't necessarily about or from Walt Disney World, but I wanted to mention it because I think it's important. I think it's something I enjoy doing, and most people tie this into a Walt Disney World vacation. Well, I've learned from our friends over at the Magic for Less Travel that Disney has finally announced its plans to build two new ocean liners uh, as part of the Disney Cruise Line. These are going to launch in 2011 and 2012, according to President and CEO Bob Iger, who announced this uh, last Thursday. This is basically going to more than double the capacity for the Disney Cruise Line because it is a very, very wildly popular thing. The two ships are going to be 122,000 tons, and they're also the unique thing is they're going to be two decks taller than the existing 83,000 ton ships, so you can get an idea of how much larger they're really going to be. Each ship is going to have 1,250 staterooms. Uh, they have not been named, named as yet, but they are in development and they're going to be unveiled a little later on. 
they are going to keep the same kind of look and feel other than the additional two levels um from what i'm understanding there's going to be a lot more rooms with verandas um we also don't know as yet the itineraries something else that was uh, notable was that these ships are going to be built in a different shipyard uh they're actually built in germany as opposed to the fincantieri shipyard that built both the wonder and the magic so uh look for more details to come out i'm very excited about looking at the artist renderings i would very much like to get on one of those inaugural cruises fred you've cruised before you've been on a disney cruise no not yet but i'm certainly looking forward to it i um, uh i went last year i went in 2005 and uh, i'm going again on the magic this november shameless plug for the cruise with tank go to disneyworldtribute.com slash cruise for more information um <laughs> But it's uh, it's absolutely it's it's like nothing else I've ever done before, and I'm I'm really excited that they're going to finally be expanding the line and, and adding some you know new destinations. You know I got to I got to tell you this is one of those things that you know I I read up a little bit on Disney News and and I was totally blown away when I saw this announcement. This to me is a huge a huge step for Disney to just push forward on creating more of the magic on the seas. And, and I, I really like to see that what they're doing is uh, based on what I'm seeing, you know, there's a potential plan that, you know, one could be stationed more in the Caribbean. One might, you know, get to spend some more time on the West coast or they might consider doing Alaskan cruises or, uh, you know, another one might maybe, maybe they'll send one, you know, overseas to Europe, you know, and it'll stay there more often. I mean, it opens up a huge window of opportunity for cruisers that love to go through Disney. And uh, I think this is an awesome move from them. I could hear almost the collective drool from people when you started thinking about things like an, a, a Disney cruise to Alaska, which I understand is just one of the most beautiful cruises you could ever take or, you know, a long cruise to Europe. Um, you know, sign me up now. <laughs> sign me up now. I mean, you know, it, it is. It's it, the, 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 An Alaskan cruise is supposed to be, you know, a, a really emotional and spiritual and magical, you know, uh, cruise, you know. And, and, and I can't think of any way to take something like that, an experience like that, of making it any better than to do it on uh, on a Disney cruise. I can't, I, you know, try to imagine how, how Disney can put such a great spin on that. Um, I, I, you know, it's just, it is mind-boggling. I, I, I sincerely do look forward to it. Yeah, and I, what I want to do too, Fred, is I wanted to get a, a little opinion from somebody who's in the cruise industry. So what I thought I would do is I would bring in a, uh, a resident expert on the Disney Cruise Line, and that's Pam Forrester, owner of the Magic for Less Travel. And I wanted to get her reaction to, um, to Disney's announcement today. Pam, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Lou. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure, Pam. So finally, amidst uh, all these rumors for such a long time, Disney announces today the addition of two new ships to the already amazing Disney Cruise Line fleet. What, um, what What's your reaction both personally and, and professionally as an agent? Well, you know, honestly, two new ships could not come at a better time. In the past few weeks with the release of the West Coast Cruises and the Panama Canal Cruise, it seems like people are even more interested in the Disney Cruise Line. Um, the enthusiasm that our guests have for the Cruise Line sailings is overwhelming. Um, they just It's just such a positive response. And we were really shown that with the eastbound Panama Canal Cruises when they sold out in one day. So Disney really needs these two new ships, I think. They sold out in one day? One day. Wow. <laughs> So, and that's huge. These are not inexpensive cruises, let's say, and it's also not a short cruise. It's a, it's a, you know, long cruise through the Panama Canal, although really exciting, 
it's just amazing even to me that the cruise line could sell out that quickly. Incredible. The thing that I liked from reading the release from Disney today is is not only are the ships going to look the same, but they are actually going to be bigger and obviously we assume better. There's going to be more uh, veranda rooms from what I understand, correct? Yeah, and two new decks. Now, I don't even know what are going to be on these two new decks, but I'm guessing probably some new recreation activities, probably um, some new and interesting things for the kids. I mean, this is Disney, so I'm hoping they're going to wow us with some new things. Yeah, it, it's unfortunate that 2011 and 2012 seem so far away because uh, I'd love to get on that that maiden voyage. Yeah, me, me, and you both. Well, let's <laughs> let's make a plan. We'll be there. I hear I hear a research trip in our in our future. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> well, Pam, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, if you are looking to plan a Disney cruise of your own for now or for uh, 2011 or 12, by all means, head on over to the Magic for Less Travel. They offer complete travel planning, whether it's for Disneyland, Walt Disney World, or the Disney Cruise Line. They are the very best at what they do. Uh, They specialize in Disney, and their service is second to none. And most importantly, it's free to you. So there uh, there is no extra added cost to you for using their agency again that's the magicforless.com i'll put the link up in the show notes pam thanks again for coming on the show thanks so much Lou. i'm going to put some links up in the show notes both to the magic for less travel as well as uh, the disney cruise line if you're interested for more information and i will of course put some information up there about the uh, cruise that we're doing in november with uh, with margaret tinkerbell Kerry. Hey, you know, Lou, uh, by the way, I, I don't know if you knew this or not, but one of the things I saw when I was looking at the uh, the story about the uh, the two new ships is that the, the new shipbuilder actually has the ability for you to see uh, and uh, through webcams the progress of, of, the, of the ships as they're being built. And that, to me, think about it. I mean, for those that are really into it, they're going to be able to watch and see the progress of these new ships. I think that's really an awesome thing. Oh, that's very cool. Did you ever see the Travel Channel special about the Disney Cruise Line where they showed, they, they had some time-lapse photography and they showed, it truly, it's an engineering marvel how they get these together because they're built, or at least that's how they were done in, in uh, the Fincantieri shipyards. They were built you know, the fore and aft sections were built separately, and they were brought together and, and basically welded together. Yeah, well, I remember, I remember that, and if, you, if, if everybody recalls and anybody who saw that, I think one of the major reasons they did it that way was because there was a really specific goal that Disney had set, and they really wanted to get these ships going by X and such and such a date. And, and I think when presented with the challenge to, cre- to get these, the, the ships created and built within that time frame uh the the fincantieri was the only company that could come up with the plan to say hey look we'll we'll have we'll build two parts of the ship at the same time uh, which you know in an essence can you know cut down the delivery time by half if you think about it so that was yeah that was kind of that was kind of amazing i remember watching that cool we'll keep our eye out and if anybody happens to see or hear uh, anything about the webcams, by all means, send an email to lou at wdwradio.com, and I'll put the link up on the site and in the show notes. Fred, you are a parent of two children, much like I am, so this may interest you as well. The Little Ones Travel Time, that's a program that started last year. Well, it's back again in Walt Disney World, but this year it's going to be a little bit later and a little bit different. From September 6th through October 28th, 2007, there's going to be a variety of special events and concerts specifically aimed towards the little ones, towards the, the, the pre-K, nursery school, kindergarten, uh, Disney Channel age kids. 
So you're going to be getting appearances and concerts by, you know, the Doodle Bops and Johnny and the Sprites, Dan Zane, a whole lot more. I don't know if this year the Wiggles are going to be back, minus Greg, the Yellow Wiggle page who retired last year due to health concerns. Uh, there very well may be the return of Mickey's Magic Show. Last year, this ran a little bit earlier. It ran in the late summer from about August 13th through September 30th. Um, they had special packages that also included free dining for the whole family. You could get a, a, basically a five-day, four-night stay at a value resort with Magic Your Way tickets, the Disney dining plan that started at 950 for two adults and one child and $173 for an additional child. So it's great because the parks are empty. You get the free dining. You get a good... Um, you get a good value as far as dollar wise. Plus, they also had things like Fantasyland in the Magic Kingdom would open an hour early on select days. So you could get out, get your kids in early, get to hit all those popular rides in Fantasyland. There was all kinds of character dining experiences, which was a great way to introduce your kids to some of these Disney characters that maybe they they weren't familiar with, kind of slowly kind of get them used to seeing, you know, the characters uh, face to face. There was features on the website at the Magical Beginnings Park, and, and we'll, we'll put a link up to that in the show notes as well. And it told it helped parents kind of find the age-appropriate attractions. Um, there was also special reservation agents on staff to help answer your questions. So if you go to DisneyWorld.com, uh, you can select the preschoolers, and it'll kind of give you an idea of, um, of the, the packages that they have available. So, Fred, what do you think about this whole Little Ones travel time, these kind of special events, special packages for people like us that, you know, taking kids out of school isn't that big a deal. You can go, you know, in September, in October, when it's normally a very quiet time of year and take your kids down to Walt Disney World. Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about Disney here, and, and while there is tons of magic to be had for everybody, you know, you got to remember, this is a business also, and and. Nobody, nobody does it better than Disney when it comes to trying to fit, figure out ways to, to generate new revenue. And the way I kind of see this is, this is their, you know, a lot of people say, you know, oh, your children are too young to go to Disney. You're, you know, they're not going to remember anything. And you know something, as a parent, you know, and both of us, you know, know this. You know, while the kids might not remember it when they're younger, that doesn't mean that they're not interacting that they're not having fun, you know, that they're not animated with what they're seeing. So so Disney is doing, to me, this is a fantastic thing that's saying, you know what, regardless of the age of your children, come on down, and, and, and they're making it really easy for you to do that. So, so I, I think it's a great thing. I really do. And the price is right. And hopefully they will have the free dining again this year because that, that's, a, that's a huge deal. I mean, if you're able to go, you know, a family of three or a family of four for around $1,000, um, you know, for five days at, at Walt Disney World, you can't beat that. And it is, and, and you're right, because you know when it comes down to it, too, people people are worried about justifying the money that's involved with a Disney vacation when they're thinking, well, you know, my child is only two years old, you know, what what is he or she going to get out of it? Well, you know, vacations aren't just for the aren't just for the kids, so. They're making it really easy for you to say, you know, well, we're going to go down, we're going to go to Disney World, we're going to have a good time, and we're also going to be able to do a lot of stuff with our little one. And I really like that. I really do. Because, you know, it's definitely a good sign for families. Well, even if you go I mean, to, to the Disney website, you'll see that what they're starting to do is they're starting to target the different demographics. So when you go there, you know, if you're interested in stuff for your preschool, you click on the preschool. If you're interested in stuff for your teens, you click on the teens. And they really will tailor what you're viewing 
for the type of family that you have or the people that are going to be going down because there is something for everybody. There is something for every age group, and Disney's trying to illustrate that, and this is a perfect, perfect example for those people who might have been saying, you know what, my kids are too young. I can't take them out of school. I don't know when we can go. This is the way to do it, and it's a great way to introduce um, introduce your kids to it. So I, I applaud it, and I like it, and hopefully I can make it down and check out some of those things because uh, – I know my daughter is is brainwashed into watching Disney Channel twenty four seven. So, <laughs> <laughs> so so are my kids, and, and and you know another thing that I think is important to remember with this is, you know, as, as parents that have that, that you know I have a six year old and a two year old, and my two year old's getting is it's getting bigger every day and is becoming less of a baby and more of a toddler, and then soon you know she'll become more of a little girl and less of a toddler, and you know I think that you have to remember that these opportunities that Disney is making are perfect opportunities for you to take advantage of, of, of having fun with your small children while they're still small. Um, and you know something? There's more to it than money when it comes down to that. You know, It's a really cool thing to be able to get in there, do stuff as a family when they're small, as they grow, and, and, and you know, when you get older, you're going to have those memories, and those are priceless. I, I've said it for years. The real magic in Walt Disney World is making memory with, with your family and your friends, and this is a perfect example, and that's a, and that's a really good point. Fred, all I have to say is yak. And Yeti, too, because signs have now come up uh, announcing the impending arrival and the opening of the Yak and Yeti over uh, by the (laughs) construction walls over at (laughs) Disney's or the destruction walls over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Um, The signs basically read Anandapur Yak and Yeti restaurant, air conditioned, fine food and spirits opening 2007. And there's two things about that sign. That caught my eye. First, it now says opening 2007. What are you laughing about? It said opening 2007, and it says spirits. So I wonder if they're going to serve alcohol at the Yak and Yeti. I don't know. I I, I, <laughs> I think I have a hard time trying to figure out uh, what kind of restaurant is, what kind of food a restaurant is going to have when the word Yak is in it. <laughs> well, it's not spelled that way. It's Y A K. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, I just think that's humorous, you know. Um, Lou, you and I, we, we've, we've said, we've talked about this. As a matter of fact, in Animal Kingdom, uh, at Tusker House uh, during Mouse Fest, and, and, and I think that the one thing that that has been missing at Animal Kingdom is exactly what they're doing right now, and I think this is, this is also a really cool thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to a nice, good sit-down sit restaurant at Disney's Animal Kingdom, just furthering their efforts to try and get rid of that half-day park tag, and this might just be the case, especially if they have, you know, a place that you can get drinks and you kind of just can sit down and relax for a while after, after your day at the park. I mean, this is the key. This this could very well be the key, like you said, the half-day park thing. You know, it's sad, but that is what everybody thinks of it as. And with them adding, um, you know, uh, the Yeti, the infamous Yeti, you know, I think that they're f- – and, and, and the new shows that are there and, you know, there's so much to do now that topping off your day – uh, with you know a reservation at a good re- good restaurant that you could just you don't have to get in your car you don't have to take a bus you don't have to do anything you just walk over you enjoy a nice you know you wind down off of your day I think this could be the topper to then you know to make it a full day and then if they build onto it by enhancing the after after dinner uh, offerings at the park 
you know, it could be a whole lot more even still with, you know, a couple of extra shows or, or, you know, extended hours or something like that. You know, yeah, this could be a very, this could really be a full day park. Well, you know, it's another conversation for another day, but I've said for a while, extended hours, nighttime torch parade, Everest at night, it would be absolutely perfect. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine that? You know, the, the theming of having torches um, even with or without fire, I mean, you know, Disney would find a way to do it safely. It would be absolutely the coolest thing to, you know, to wind down after a really busy day, uh, go have dinner, enjoy yourself, have drinks, have decent, you know, have a decent meal, and then afterwards, you know, get to participate in another themed Animal Kingdom style event like a parade like that. Oh yeah, the bar none. It would be awesome. I mean, think about this, you know, and again, the issue is what you'd be able to see, getting the animals out. But think about a nighttime safari. Even if I didn't see any animals, it would just be cool to kind of get a different experience riding on the safari at night. You know, they could almost make it a, a different type of attraction because obviously you're not going to see very much out there unless they were using, you know, lights and, and whatnot. But they could really, Animal Kingdom at night could be one of those parks that's just really plussed and they could do so much to it um, after hours, after dark. Yeah, I, I, I really agree, uh, you know, and, and, and again, they would def- they would definitely have to work on that because we tried doing extended hours there, uh, the extra magic hours, and and to be honest with you, a lot of the allure that the ma- that the Animal Kingdom has is the animals, and, and they're not there, after, you know, at night. So di- Disney, while they have a chore, uh, you know, in trying to generate interest in people staying after dark or after, after you know, after dinner, uh, I also don't don't think that it would be that difficult with festival and and you know the new Nemo musical and the Boneyard you know kids could keep themselves busy for hours in there um, you know I and and then of course a good parade you know like Spectral Magic ah oh, you know it, it, it they really could do it and and then and not focus necessarily only on the animals. how about I this think they could do it. how about this a Discovery River nighttime cruise wow with with the yeah. with the Tree of Life. And Everest lit. I just think it would be awesome. I think yeah, awesome. it would be. I very, very much so. I agree. There's so much. There is so much that they could do. Um, it's just a matter of you know figuring out how they're going to do it, when they're going to do it, and you know you can't. I, you obviously can't stay for fireworks. They can't do fireworks there. But I would stay to see you know a very unique type of parade that you would only get at uh, at Animal Kingdom. Hundred percent. We're definitely in agreement with that. You know and. Uh, you know, the, not the, not only that, but think about it. I mean, do, doing stuff like that and, and expanding into the evening hours could also set that park up to be, you know, a site of a future like you know parties. Uh, you know, so who knows what they could do? I mean, that's that would be a great park to also do some type of uh, you know Halloween thing. You know, uh, I'm sure they could do work in some type of Christmas theme also. Uh, you know, ima- imagine the the countless number of uh, special parties that they could probably do if they expanded on and, and started doing things at night as well. I, I think it would be pretty cool. Cool. I think I think everybody's probably all in agreement that they'd like to see something happen to uh, to Animal Kingdom at night. But uh, let's move over to some of the Walt Disney World resorts because there are some uh, heavy-duty renovation projects underway. And it's not in some of the theme park resorts, but the downtown Disney Resort area. Um, There's basically seven hotels in Lake Buena Vista, which are in the process of completing some major renovations, totaling more than $100 million in upgrades. Everything from new restaurants to new meeting space to plasma TVs, uh, new spas, um, 
much greater amenities in the rooms and things like that. Uh, the downtown Disney hotels uh, are basically right located right near, obviously, downtown Disney. They're within walking distance. They include the Best Western, the Holiday Inn, Doubletree Guest Suites, Grosvenor Resort, the Hilton Resort, Royal Plaza, and the Buena Vista Palace and Hotel Spa. There's 27 restaurants, more than 3,600 rooms. Um, there, there's a great, you know, there's something there for everybody. And what I think a lot of people don't realize, Fred, is these are, you know, they're on Disney property. They're within walking distance of some of the best shopping, dining, and entertainment on property. Plus, they are official Walt Disney World hotels. So they also get the special perks not available to hotels off property. You know, you can get... Um, you can get complimentary transportation and guaranteed admission to all the theme parks, the water parks, downtown Disney, Pleasure Island. You get advanced tea times at all the golf courses. You can make priority seating arrangements. All of the extras that you get of staying of any of the Disney on-property resorts you get here. I've stayed at uh, Buena Vista Palace, I think the Hilton and the Grosvenor, and they're great. I mean, they don't have the kind of theming that maybe your kids might enjoy, but they're great hotels. They actually have some of the nicest rooms on property. And again, it's a no-brainer because location, location, location is great. You get the you get the free transportation and you get all the pluses that you get for staying on property. I've really never, I mean, I've seen the hotels. We've never stayed one. Um, but I, I do agree with the fact that they're they're upgrading, you know, because Disney's also going through a lot of upgrades, and, and they have to stay, they have to keep up with that standard, um, where you know they're going to be on par with you know other hotels that are on property as well, and 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 you and you know, I really think that's great that you're pointing out a lot of the the benefits that that you get staying at, at a downtown Disney hotel because to be honest with you, even I just like, you know, when you were rattling that list off, I really did not know a lot of that. And and I think that the I think that the the, the a lot of people really just don't know what you do get out of staying at a downtown Disney hotel. Yeah, I, th- I think sometimes the misconception is, you know, because they're not themed, because they're not one of you know, they're not listed as one of you know, the deluxe, moderate, or value resorts, sometimes people forget about them where they think, well, they're not owned by Disney, so technically, you know, they're off property or, or I don't get the benefit. The only thing really I think that you lose, you know, other than, you know, maybe some of the monorail resorts and things like that, is you'll lose some of the theming. Uh, you know, the the hotels are not going to be themed like Pop Century or French Quarter or Wilderness Lodge. So you do take that element out. But if you're going and maybe you go commando style, that's not all that important to you. Or if you're there for a convention or if you're there for, for for business, it's great. Again, I've stayed with my family. They have nice pools. They have great restaurants in some of those resorts. And for more information, you can go to downtowndisneyhotels.com. I'll put the link up in the show notes for more information. Uh, you should definitely check it out, especially in light of all the upgrades that are going on now. Fred, fortunately, probably for the two of us, uh, we have been married for a number of years because Disney has just unveiled through their fairy tale weddings, a new honeymoon registry, as well as a Cinderella designer doll, as well as wedding couture and bridal lines and all those things that probably would have cost us much, much more money than we already spent. Oh but, my gosh, I'm hearing the dollar signs <laughs> go off of my head. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. But you know what? In, in retrospect, this is actually something very cool because the fairy tale weddings has two new offerings for 2007. We'll kind of address them one at a time. The first is Disney's Honeymoon Registry. And this I really, really like and wish it was available when I got married because couples can actually, instead of having to register at Fortune Off or Bed Bath & Beyond or, or you know, Home Depot, whatever you register, you can now register at 
Walt Disney World, and you can get everything from, you know, a honeymoon to a cruise to DVC points, uh, dining, theme park tickets, a personal safari, an after-hours visit to the Magic Kingdom, a DVC membership. It's really, the possibilities are limited only by how much the people who are coming to your wedding or not coming to your wedding want to spend. Uh, they divide it up in a great way. They break it up as active adventure category or an exotic category or luxury, relaxation, distinctly Disney, to really kind of tailor it to the couple's personal interests. So if you know that these people are huge Disney fans and they want to do something incredible like go to the Magic Kingdom after hours or they just want to be pampered, you can do that. Um, you can personalize your online registry page. You can put pictures, messages, whatnot up there. For more information, you can go to DisneyHoneymoonRegistry.com or call 407-939-7776. I'm going to put all these up in the show notes. Again, Fred, as somebody that's a huge Disney fan, my wife is as well, this is something I wish was available when we got married. You know, we, we touched we touched on one very important uh, topic earlier, and that's what, and that's that again. Disney is a business, and and they do it so well. You know, targeting additional revenue streams. You know, from avenues that normally they might not get a lot out of. You know, and in one case it was the younger the younger children, families with younger children, and now in this case they're just they're targeting such a unique niche that they have, and they're making it so much easier for for people to. To, to get Disney related gifts for a honeymoon you know present uh, again I'm, I'm very impressed it does make it easier I wish they had it when you know when we got married uh, of course I will I will never ever go through a wedding again you know once was <laughs> once was enough <laughs> um, but uh, yeah I think it's I think it's really awesome I but just imagine really getting awesome. you know getting imagine getting you know credit towards being able to go to stay at Wilderness Lodge for your honeymoon or Basically anything other than the 500 pairs of candlesticks that I got, you know, this, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and if and if you do get them as a wedding gift from me, I'm promise it's not a regifter. But you know, to be able to get theme park tickets and stuff that you know, it, it's easy for the people who are coming, and it's and it's better for the couple. So. I mean, you know, yeah, like you, right there, you just said it, you know. Uh, all right, you know, they're they're registered, the, the, the bride and the groom are registered, you know, with Disney. You know, and automatically you're going to say, well, we want to, they're going on their honeymoon there. Well, let's see, you know, we're going to we're gonna go there. We're going to treat them to a dinner for two at the California Grill, you know, at that, during that special hour with a window seat and a gorgeous view of the fireworks. I mean, you know, that's a really cool gift to give somebody and, and then have, have your honeymoon people. Not worrying about how much it's costing. You know, I, I think that's really cool. It's a great. It's got a lot of great potential. And of course, the planners there will probably be able to help you if you want to do something really, really special for somebody. And again, you know, it, it all comes down to dollars and cents. You know, Disney will do whatever you want to to a certain degree if the money is right. So uh, if, again, if this is something you're interested in doing, I'll put the, all the links up in the show notes. You can find out more information. The one th other thing that Fairy Tale Weddings is doing that. Fortunately, I don't have to worry about, except for possibly my daughter, not that she's going to get married, she's going right to the nunnery, but they have a fairy tale <laughs> wedding doll. 
And this is a collectible Cinderella bride doll. She has a Disney-inspired wedding dress by designer Paloma Blanca, and it's going to be available exclusively at the World of Disney Store in New York, Walt Disney World in Florida, and Disneyland in California. Uh, this is a very special limited edition doll. It's available only during the Year of a Million Dreams celebration, and uh, it just screams expensive. So hopefully I won't have to purchase one, but for yeah, more information... Keep my kids away from <laughs> exactly. it, too, you know what? I won't be going to World of Disney anytime soon, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know how many guys are screaming at their iPods right now because they, their their wives or, or, or fiancés might be listening and saying, hey, I want to get married down there. I want the wedding doll. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. what kind of demographic do you have for your listener base? <laughs> yeah, I don't, maybe I shouldn't share this, but... Uh, uh, Disney's fairy tale weddings can be reached at 321-939-4623 or DisneyWeddings.com. Of course, I'm going to put those link up in the show notes. And the final wedding-themed um, thing that they have going on is they just, you know, they, they've turned little girls into princesses for years. Well, now they can actually do it for big girls that want to be a princess and well. And what do I mean by that? Well, Disney is expanding and they're actually introducing a bridal line. They've teamed up with couture bridal designer Kirsty Kelly, and I assume that name means something to people who know uh, wedding couture. And what they've done is they've now introduced a line of wedding dresses along with, you know, crystal tiaras and long trains. And the, the cost is actually somewhat reasonable at, a, at between $1,100 and $3,000 per gown. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, somebody that wants to be a princess and be that Disney princess, they can now do it kind of officially um, from Disney with, with their bridal line. Disney basically gets about 83,000 requests a year for some type of a fairy tale wedding. People have asked for everything from coming up in Cinderella's horse-drawn carriage to some uh, lower-end things that maybe aren't so expensive. So Disney is really trying to expand their offerings for people who are looking to get married and for brides. Uh, they are going to introduce this new line on April 15th during New York Bridal Market Week. Uh, Disney's going to host what's known as a trunk show, staffed by Solutions Bridal, at Disney's Grand Floridian Resort before the line is offered. That's going to be in late April or early May. Again, you can contact Disney Weddings um, for more information about that. And uh, here's a little did you know. Did you know that since 1991, Disney's fairy tale weddings has really made dreams come true for more than 27,000 couples, um, about 1,500 couples per year exchange vows at Walt Disney World. And that's not just at Disney's wedding pavilion. There are locations basically anywhere that you can get married, everywhere from the Grand Floridian, uh, which has great views of the castle, on the boardwalk, uh, at the Polynesian. You can get married uh, in, uh, you can have your reception at places like the Coral Reef. Uh, again, you know, it's basically what you want and how much you're willing to spend, but um, it, there, there is really something there for everybody. I would I would wonder how many how many uh, couples uh, you know that's getting married on premise, you know how many people though actually spend their honeymoon there but don't get married on property, uh, that's got to be a much larger number I would imagine. Supposedly Walt Disney World is the number one honeymoon destination um, in the nation, you know, and it, and just goes to illustrate that. It's not, Disney World is not just for kids. It's not for kids. I can't even say anymore because it's never been just for kids. It's a place for family and it's a place for couples to go. I've gone plenty times with my wife, uh, even before she was my wife, and we still went without our kids. And um, it, it's great to see that Disney has something for everybody from the couple starting out to the, the, the you know, multi-generational family. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I really do. I think that, you know, this is, I think this is a really cool thing. And moving over to Epcot, um, I title this one From Rumor to News in Just One Week. Um, because at Epcot Mexico Pavilion, it seems like we have some more details coming officially from Disney about what to expect as a replacement for El Rio del Tiempo. The new storyline that we talked about last week was that Donald Jose Carioca, who's the parrot, and Pan- Panchito, who is the rooster from the 1944 film The Three Caballeros, were going to be brought into the attraction. Well, supposedly, El Rio del Tiempo is now going to be renamed the Grand Fiesta Tour starring The Three Caballeros. And the story is basically going to be that uh, they, they, the Three Caballeros kind of re- reunite for this grand performance in Mexico City. And while they're there, Donald decides to go off and explore the sites of the country. And of course, Jose and Panchito now have to tour Mexico uh, looking for their friend Donald. So some of the details that came out is there's obviously going to be a new film. They have totally redone many of the scenes, the props, the facades, the sound system has even been enhanced. Um, I think some of the rumors about the addition of animatronics may not be true. Uh, I think really what they're going to be doing is changing the scenery, obviously updating the animated sequences. Uh, They may be adding to it, but nothing as extensive as maybe they were talking about before. Um, It's scheduled to open on April 2nd, 2007. So it's uh, it's sooner rather than later, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do. Um, I'm excited about what about the change. You know, we've talked about in the past, love it or hate it, the introduction of characters into Epcot and specifically World Showcase. Uh, I do think it's nice that they are trying to introduce a new generation to characters that they probably have never heard of before. You know, if you ask a kid who's who Jose Carioca is, he probably has no idea. <laughs> you can ask me, and I really don't know. I, I don't think I know. <laughs> Fred, who's Panchito? See, no, nothing. You give me nothing. <laughs> I, I, nothing. It's not. It's not ringing any bells here. <laughs> what do you think? I'm going to ask you two questions. What do you think about? the change in the attraction itself is it something you're excited about are you does it not you know blow your mind is it yeah i'm just kind of curious to see it or do you think this is something that you'd rush to run out and see man you know i'm, I'm really on the fence because i, I i'm i'm I, while i don't think i'm a 100 percent epcot purist because i really don't think that the original model can can work with today's generation um you know i i really i while I think that they needed to do some updates, you know, uh, and I think that introducing some characters is probably a good balance. I just hope they don't overdo it because, because again, the, the original theming with Epcot to me is a place where you can learn and travel the world. And, you know, it, it's just introducing the characters. If it's done, if it's done in the wrong way, it's just not going to come across right. And, you know, the ride is not so much that it's not really a ride. It's more of, it's more of a tour. It's more of, you know, you know, being able to, to get into a boat and, and, and then go on a tour of Mexico, you know. So, again, focus more on the attraction than, than you know, the characters and the fun part of it. Well, I think the way that they're doing this works. I think the storyline, and it's nice to see that they're infusing a story into this, works. Because rather than just going through scenes, as you did before, and I, and I liked El Rio del Tiempo. I thought it was very nice. I thought it was very relaxing. It was kind of a campy, kitschy, fun thing. But... Now you have animated characters which are going to appeal to kids going through different places in Mexico, introducing people to the tourism aspect of it. And that may be what, you know, that was the 
a big part of why these pavilions came in was to try and bring tourism to these to these nations. Maybe El Rio wasn't doing it. Maybe the Three Caballeros is just what people need to say, hey, you know what? Maybe Mexico is a good destination for us to go to. And they can look into the tourism aspect um, some more. So I have no problem with it. You know, I, I am looking forward to see what they do. Uh, as much as I loved El Rio, uh, I'm curious to see how they bring in the Three Caballeros and how the, the attraction is going to change. I, I, you know what? And one thing I will say is like there is a lot of there's a lot of learning being done on the current ride. So, and and I would say there's a there's not enough focus on the tourism aspect, and 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 I think that they sh there should be more focus on the tourism aspect. And when you get off of that ride, after after having lunch or dinner, you know, in, in Mexico, there, you you should feel like you want to go to Mexico. You should have seen enough to entice you, like wow, look at this, you know, gorgeous beaches, you know, awesome sights, you know, lots of history. But but I think they should do it with pictures, um, a lot of pictures, a lot of movie, a lot of a lot of things that are gonna you know to get you excited to, to, to think about you know jumping on a plane or a cruise and going there. Well, that's I, what I think that would be good. <clears throat> that's what Maelstrom did for me. I mean, I I never would have even considered going to visit Norway had I not seen Maelstrom and had I not seen the architecture of the pavilion. And I think Norway is a beautiful place. And when my kids are older, thanks to what I saw in World Showcase. I'd like to take them there. And I think that's what we're starting to see happen in World Showcase. You know, they've updated the film in China. They're updating the film in Canada, which, which definitely needed uh, updating. Oh, yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think that may very well serve to do what the pavilion was partially there for, which was to spark that interest in tourism. You know what? And, and, and let me, let, let's just bring out, you know, let's be blunt here. You know, a lot of people know Epcot and the World Showcase primarily for your ability to, to, to eat your way around the world. And, and, <laughs> and, and drink and, for some people. You know, and, and that's true. And, and while that's absolutely 100% true, and, and yes, you can have just about any choice you want of any type of cuisine, you know, within a walking distance around the, around the World Showcase, I think that by by them building up the fact that now when you go to the World Showcase, you can actually tour these worlds and, 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 and see more of the tourism aspect of it and also learn a little history about each land and each country and get to taste the food that they offer you know, in an authentic manner, I think that, yes, I think it's going to overall, it's going to enhance the experience at Epcot, which is also my favorite park, and anybody who knows me knows that. Cool. Well, then, you know what? Let's stay in Epcot. And do talk about one more bit of news that's coming out. And uh, the Flower Power Concert Series, which takes place during the Epcot International Flower and Garden Festival uh, from April 5th through June 3rd. This is the 14th year it's going on. They've just announced the 15 musical acts that are going to be there. And the Guess Who, Herman, Herman's Hermits, and of course Davy Jones, as well as many, many more, are going to be uh, appearing. Davy Jones often opens the festival. He's going to come back again this year for Mother's Day weekend. Uh, all these um, concerts take place over at the American Gardens Theater uh, two or three times a night. They are free. They're included with admission. I'll put a, a list up in the show notes of all the people who are um, going to be performing. But again, you have Paul Revere and the Raiders, Tony Orlando and Dawn. Boy, I remember Ty Yellow Ribbon very much i'm showing my age <laughs> yeah they're, they're not targeting a specific audience are they no. I mean, it, it, it's kind of obvious there <laughs> the turtles uh the grassroots kids are going who are these people uh gary puckett the sos band you know i i'd love to see some of these things and again it's free it's a lot of fun and it, it, you know flower and garden festival again another one of those 
plus times a year to go when you can really enjoy Epcot. It's absolutely beautiful if you've never been there before. And there's lots oh, and lots the, of great stuff. The, and as it gets closer, topiary. yeah, we'll talk more as, as it gets closer to some of the special things that are going on during Flower and Garden. Yeah, no, it is. It's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. I've actually done it once. And the topiaries and all the extra flowers, it is absolutely gorgeous. And it, it, trans- it, it transforms Epcot, you know, in a way that many people might not have ever seen it. Cool. Well, what I'm going to do is um, I had a couple of little bits of news, but we're running long. So what I want to do is I want to head on over to the Walt Disney World rumor mill because there's really only one rumor that I, that I want to kind of touch on this week. It's something that I've talked about in the past, and I'd like to get your opinion on it well. And and it was kind of sparked by a question um, that I had received via email. And it says, hello, Lou. This is Jeff Davis from the World in News on the Character Breakfast podcast. I want to let you know how much I'm enjoying the new show and look forward to more great things in the future. On the last edition, I mentioned during my segment about the possible refurbishment of the Haunted Mansion at Walt Disney World. From the info I have right now, they're saying that the refurb should take place either in May or June of this year. The work is expected to take four months and are said to include the floating Leota and Bride effects recently added at the Disneyland version. Wondered if you had any insight into this actually happening, as well as any other informations. Uh, are these changes that really need to be done? And should Disney leave alone the already popular classic Disney attraction? Perhaps not all the changes made at Disneyland should be made at Walt Disney World. Thanks for the help, Jeff. Jeff, thank you for the great question. I've touched on the uh, the rumors of the Haunted Ranch and Refurb for some time now. Um, I think now there's a little bit more credibility go towards uh, not only the addition of the gift shop than anything else, but possibly some of the things you touched on. The uh, there's been also talk of a, the of a photo imaging system being added during the hitchhiking ghost scene, um, as well as like you said the swap out of both the bride and the Leota head effect. So while I haven't personally seen any of the changes over at Disneyland, um, I hear they are amazing, and my feeling is as long as they don't interfere with the integrity of the attraction of, the, of itself, you know, don't take away from the classic things like Leota. Uh, if that's the case. I don't think I have any problem with them making such an improvement, but you got to keep the classics classic. Um, you know, I understand the addition of the the, the kind of uh, end ride photo, as you see on a lot of attractions now. It's on Expedition Everest. You have it on Splash Mountain. You have it on Buzz Lightyear. Again, as long as it's not something intrusive into a scene, which is, I think, one of the best elements of any attraction in all of Walt Disney World, uh, I think that's okay. Some of the other details I've heard is that this is going to take place beginning in June, as well as being done by early October. Um, those dates aren't confirmed, so you know don't make or break plans accordingly, not that you would based on anything that I say anyway. Um, I, I would question whether or not the Haunted Mansion would really be down during the very, very busy July 4th weekend. I know that they have done refurbs with attractions before, but made sure that in some form or another, the attraction was open for that weekend, especially something like the Haunted Mansion. It's just got to be. I, I, I'm, you know, this is a really, this is a tough one for <laughs> me because, you know, again, I'm, I'm a borderline purist, but this is one of those things that I, th- and I think Disney realizes this, this is a very dangerous game. They've got to be very careful with this because for me, it is probably the most favorite attraction I have on all of property. And, and you know, while, while I'm a big fan of, of trying to bring things up and modernizing it a little bit, you know, to keep everybody in today's, you know, generation more interested in it, 
you know, there's really nothing wrong with the ride. It's it's not supposed to be scary. It's not supposed to be high tech. It's supposed to be fun, and and it definitely is fun. I mean, I take my two year old and my six year old girls on there, and they all laugh. You know, and that's a really cool thing. You know, I tend to agree with you with the with the you know, I would love to have a ride photo. I think that's a great addition, um, and I also have no problem whatsoever with a gift shop. I mean, you know, that's all fantastic. But I would welcome it, a gift shop because there's no it, good haunted mansion merchandise out there. It, yeah, absolutely, and 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 you know everybody's always looking for it. So, you know, the, the one thing that brings a concern to me on the gift shop part is, is what are they going to do to affect the exterior? Well, supposedly it would actually happen right as you came out in the mausoleum area. So I would hope that they would be able to theme it appropriately, and I'm sure they would. You know, in true Disney fashion, they wouldn't just throw up you know, four walls and not theme it. I think it could actually be a nice little addition to the end of the ride. The attraction does need a little bit of TLC. The audio system uh, is sometimes in a bit of a sorry state. I know the last couple of times I've been on there, the audio in my Doom buggy has kind of gone in and out. So if they are going to do it, again, keep the integrity of the attraction, keep the classic a classic, and I have no problem with it. All right, well, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the News and Views, as well as the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill. If you have any news or rumors that you want to share, by all means, please send them in to Lou at WDWRadio.com. You can call our voicemail anytime at 206-202-4WDW. You can share news or rumors. You can share your opinion on anything that we talked about. Or you can also visit the WDW Radio discussion forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. We'll put the link up to that in the show notes. Fred Block, Disney fan, founder of MagicMeats.com. Thank you so much for coming on, talking to us not only about the meat, but um, giving us a little insight and uh, helping me out with the news and rumors section this week. You know, you're thanking me, and i got to tell you, I had a blast. This was a lot of fun, um, and, and I'm going to thank you for having me aboard. Um, you know, anytime you ever want somebody to talk your ear off, you know I'm definitely available. Thanks hey, listen, as long as your checks keep clearing, I'll keep having you on. <laughs> <laughs> Again, don't forget for more information, you can go to magicmeets.com. I hope to see you and many of the listeners uh, in Harrisburg this July. Fred, thanks again, buddy. Thank you very much, Lou. Whoa, Pecos Bill was quite a cowboy down in Texas. And a western superman, to say the least. He was the roughest, toughest critter, never known to be a quitter, cause he never had no fear of man or beast. So yippee-i-yay, yippee-i-yay, yippee-i-o, for the toughest critter west of the Alamo. One of my favorite places to dine in all of Walt Disney World is maybe not what you'd expect. A lot of people throw around the names like California Grill, Narcoosies, especially those guys from WDW Today, uh, Victoria and Alberts, or The Flying Fish. But for me, one of my must-dos at Walt Disney World involves a little corner table, uh, a burger, and a fixin's bar in Frontierland. And yes, I'm talking about Pecos Bill's Tall Tale Inn and Cafe. Not only do I believe, firmly believe, that they have the best burgers on property. Yes, I know they're, they're all the same and they're all made the same way, but I think they do just taste better here. But it really is a place that's steeped in history and some of those hidden treasures and details that I love so much. So what I decided to do was enlist the help of Jeff Pepper, friend and uh, author of the 2719 Hyperion blog, to come on, join me, do a little Disney scene investigation of Pecos Bills. Jeff, welcome to the WDW radio show. 
Thank you, Lou. It's a pleasure to be here today. You guys, I'm sure, remember Jeff. Uh, he had done a segment with me a while back about Muppet Vision, and we just had a lot of fun doing it, and uh, and I really like Jeff's work, so I thought he'd be a great guy to come on and talk about uh, talk about Pecos Bills. Now, let's get the important stuff out of the way first. Do, do you actually like eating there? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> uh, like... Like everybody else, I, I am drawn to the Fixins Bar. If, if I'm going to have a burger, um, it's going to be a Pecos Bill. And and I, too, like everybody else, am mourning the loss of the cheese dip. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still there. You just have to it's ask for it. Right. You just have to ask for it so there's no, uh, you know. But you just can't just, just be, you know, putting it on top of everything when you... <laughs> I know, you know, as long as you, as long as you're gonna clog the arteries, you might as well do it yourself and just lay it on your fries and your burger and everything else. Um, very quickly, if you've never been there before, Pecos Bills is located kind of where Frontierland and Adventureland meet. Um, it is a counter service restaurant, and obviously they have, uh, you know, hamburgers and cheeseburgers and and pork sandwiches. I think they may have some healthy stuff like chicken wraps and chicken salads, but that's not important right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they have a kids menu, chili cheese fries. Again, if you really want to just clog your arteries before you get out the door. And again, I think it is um, the best on property. The fixins bar is really what makes it as well as the cheese sauce. A little bit of history about the uh, the restaurant itself. It opened with Walt Disney World in 1971. It closed down in 1998 for a pretty extensive renovation, and it changed its name from the Pecos Bill Cafe to the Pecos Bill's Tall Tale Inn and Cafe. Now, I don't know if you remember, Jeff, there was actually a, uh, a, a another little eatery next to it called the Mile Long Bar, and that was closed when this refurb um, was done, and that space was taken over and brought into Pecos Bill. It added a little more seating, um, areas on that side. Yeah, the, the thing that I regret most about that was, is, and it was one of those things that I wasn't aware of the refurbishment. It kind of happened in between trips for me. And I missed, let me get their names straight, it's Melvin, Buff, and... Max. Max, thank you. <laughs> they they were up on the wall there at the Mile Long Bar, and it was right at the exit where you came out of uh, Country Bear. And they were up there talking and interacting, and one day they were gone. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. They kind of carried. They were. This was at the exit of the Country Bear Jamboree, and the the three heads were mounted on this side as well. And they talked and they sang, and it kind of carried over from the show exit. Uh, and the Mile Long Bar, obviously, it, it was given its name because there was a series of mirrors that actually made the bar look as if it was, you know, one of those never-ending mirrors. And the bar was a mile long, and they served food there. Uh, it was sponsored by Pepsi-Cola and Frito-Lay. So originally they sold just snacks. Then later on they sold some small Mexican dishes. They had churros and drinks and, and things like that. Um, but again, that that has since gone away and uh, the mile-long bar is no more. If you look at Pecos Bills from the outside, if you look at the building and you look at the blue, uh, the blue portion of the building, that's where the mile-long bar was. Uh, and there were some other things there, too. There was a Frontier Trading Post. Uh, there was the Westward Ho Shop, which, you know, obviously has long gone. But uh, the reason why I, we, we wanted to do this, and it's kind of odd that we're doing a Disney scene investigation about a restaurant, but really, like so much of what you see in and around Walt Disney World, not just in attractions, but in shops and in restaurants, Pecos Bills has a story behind it. And everything that you see in there kind of ties in one way or another to, you know, either that story or things from, you know, Disney or, or film history. 
And, and that's why I wanted to have Jeff come on um, and kind of, you know, a lot of people don't know, Jeff, even who Pecos Bill is. If you ask a kid today, um, you know, Pecos Bill and Mr. Toad, they'll look at you kind of funny. <laughs> well, that's absolutely true because uh, Pecos Bill um, is just way kind of off the radar these days. Um, you can actually, his his story is available, and I can mention that a little later, how you can pick up a copy of, of you know, where he appears. But um, Pecos Bill was, you know, a tall tale type legend, and he originated back in the um, late 1800s, and the, um, nobody really knows who originated it, um, but they say basically he came out of, you know, tall tales that were told around the campfire by range hands and cowboys. And his first published material was published in the early 1920s and was a collection of stories by a gentleman named Edward O'Reilly. But Disney's version of Pecos Bill first appeared, well, only appeared actually in the movie uh, Melody Time, which was one of their uh, animated features that was from the year 1948. And they did a series of these, and people are probably a little bit more familiar with um, the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad because of Mr. Toad, uh, Legends of Sleepy Hollow, and uh, Fun and Fancy Free, which has the short Mickey and the Beanstalk and um, uh, Bongo. But the two other ones, um, which are a little less well-known, are Melody Time and Make My Music. And they were kind of done almost as a series of um, sort of what would have been at the time music videos. Um, Melody Time, I can't remember exactly how many, but it consisted of a number of segments, and one of those segments was the Pecos Bill segment. In fact, it was the segment that ended the movie. And uh, the story was told and sung by Roy Rogers, who... Again, a lot of the younger generation now probably are going, who's Roy Rogers? And the Sons of the Pioneers, well, you know, if you were a kid in 1948, you knew who Roy Rogers was. Um, he was the singing, one of the singing cowboys, of which, you know, Gene Autry was the other famous one. But he uh, told the story, and it was interesting because the, the entire movie was pretty much all animated, but you came to the introduction of the Pecos Bill segment, and they actually had a filmed sequence of Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers, uh, his sort of his backup group, all sitting around the campfire singing songs. And the two young kids that were there with them was um, Bobby Driscoll and Luana Patton, which were the kids that had appeared in Song of the South and uh, So Dear to My Heart. And they were kind of Disney's stock kid players from that that time period. And Roy uh, basically then goes on to tell the story of Pecos Bill. And basically Pecos was orphaned in the desert, raised by coyotes, um, grew up, met his horse, Widowmaker. In fact, he saved Widowmaker from a bunch of circling vultures who was, you know, he was in the middle of the desert dying of thirst. And they became the best of friends and grew up together. And then ultimately he meets Slewfoot Sue, who is just the love of his life. She's this gorgeous woman who comes swimming while she's riding the back of a catfish coming down the river. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's and basically... Uh, where the story takes a nasty turn is uh, Slewfoot and Widowmaker just don't get along. And so on their wedding day, uh, Slewfoot Sue gets a little bit of comeuppance from uh, Widowmaker. So, and uh, Pecos... Um, the woman that gets between a man and his horse. Yes, Don Everett. <laughs> don't, and and she, she, she landed on the moon. The way that <laughs> Tonight but, on uh, Lifetime. <laughs> yes. So Pecos... Um, Bill, he was animated by Ward Kimball, uh, one of the legendary nine old men. And there's actually um, a photo out there. There's a great photo of Ward Kimball, and it's it's kind of a posed photo, but he's animating. He's drawing a picture of Pecos Bill, and he's got the hat, 
you know, the cowboy hat on, and he's got this goofy, he's looking in the mirror trying to, you know, use himself as a model for Pecosville, and it's, it's, a, it's a nice, funny photo. So that's kind of the background, you know, as to where he came from, and he never appeared anywhere else. He, he made a couple of cameos on that cartoon show they did a few years back on Mickey's House of Mouse as he was, like, sort of sitting in the audience. But he never, never appeared again in, in any kind of uh, film. The segment itself was recycled a lot. They recycled a lot, included it in Tall Tale anthologies that they used to put on the Wonderful World of Disney. So he, he's kind of been around, but I think it's it's kind of interesting is that, you know, when they were doing Frontierland, they had to kind of mine what they had back then, and, you know, the Western pop culture of the time, they had a lot of stuff like Davy Crockett, you know, Texas John Slaughter were among the characters on the show, but Pecos was really the only animated character that was that had a real strong western theme to him so i think that's why he kind of was a natural and and even though you know when disney world opened you know some 20 more plus years later you know they still he was still somebody they wanted to use to theme theme the restaurant and if you look at the sign now if you look at the the sign on the frontierland side the uh the picture that you see the the character that you see on there is is kind of modeled after the original pecos bill animated character yeah, that is Pecos Bill. That's exactly how Pecos appears in, in Melody Time. I think a lot of people who didn't know maybe about Melody figured Pecos Bill was just, you know, something that, that Imagineers came up with when they designed, you know, and, and came up with the the, uh, the restaurant as opposed to, you know, digging back into the the archives and pulling somebody out. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's, and it's, and it's like I said, people, a lot of people just don't know that he is an actual stock character from, you know, Disney's Disney's films. And you, you mentioned Slewfoot Sue, and uh, I'm sure some people, you also mentioned Texas John Slaughter. You, you may or may not have seen or heard those names, you know, bandied about Frontierland. Uh, Texas John Slaughter, you'll see his name on the sign for the, uh, the general store because he is the trail boss of Frontierland. Boss, yeah. And Slewfoot Sue is supposedly the owner of the Diamond Horseshoe Review. Yeah, the, um, in fact, the character Slewfoot Sue was played by, I believe her name is Betty Taylor, out in the Disneyland version of the Golden Horseshoe, um, and her character was just a big part of. Yeah, she she owned owned the owned the restaurant, and I believe basically, you know, the the show in Disney World was modeled exactly after that one, wasn't it? But uh, there's a sign, and it's it's interesting. The, the hard thing about the Pecos Bill Cafe is it's so darn dark. Yeah. <laughs> And often they're really, crowded. <laughs> they're really into mood lighting there. And what I found was when I started digging around, there's there's two things you got to fight there to really, really see a lot of what's there. And that's why it really is hidden. A lot of what's there is hidden. Is the um, it's so dark and then it's crowded. And you kind of a lot of the things you're looking for are potentially could see. There's people standing in front of, or you know, they're you can't go near, near something on the wall because you're gonna you know, step on somebody's French fries or something. Or try to get close to it. <laughs> So I snuck in in the morning. <laughs> if you, if you, you know, when everybody else is making that mad dash to Splash Mountain and, and Thunder Mountain, I kind of ran in, and there was absolutely nobody in the whole place, and I was able to get a good look around. And the entrance where you were talking about, where you have that the Frontierland entrance there, if you go in the one door, there are two signs there, and um, there one is a very long, wordy sign that um, has a great bit, good deal of text on it, and. That basically gives you the entire background to um, who Pecos Bill is and then how the cafe came into being. Um, it has, you know, the Pecos Bill Cafe and Tall Tale Inn. And do you know what the the um, motto is? Uh, the, you mean the, the code of the West? 
No, 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 the motto. You know, the little little cell line. Hmm. The tastiest eats and treats this side of the Rio Grande. Ah, oh, there you go. And that sounds like that, that's got trivia question written all over yeah. it. <laughs> I, I think I just stumped the trivia guy. <laughs> Can you I keep score on this? Is that one? <laughs> you may get into volume three after all. <laughs> oh, okay. The page, my goal. <laughs> but yeah, that's it's the and that's that's there's two there. Well, that's the sign on the left, and the actual the code of the West was the one you mentioned on the right hand side. Now, do you, do you do you know what the code of the West is? The three things. I love the code of the West because you have to respect <laughs> the land, defend the defenseless, and don't ever spit in front of women and children. Absolutely. Partner. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that was my well, best well, cowboy impression. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. <laughs> well, the um, the tall the the one on the left hand side is the real wordy one that gives you all the the narration, the background there. Um, it basically it kind of recaps what I just said about what was in Melody Time and just the legend of Pecos Bill and the things he did, like he dug the Rio Grande, he you know tamed a tamed a tornado, all those things. But you get down about halfway and it, it explains the uh, the restaurant and basically it says in 1878 with the encouragement of his friends Pecos Bill decided to open his own watering hole a restaurant whose very motto reflects its one-of-a-kind owner the tastiest eats and treats this side of the Rio Grande Pecos Bill called it the Tall Tale Inn and Cafe and it quickly became a popular hangout for some of his legendary friends as time went by it became a tradition when each friend paid a visit that they would leave something behind for Pecos Bill to remember them by as you can see from the articles and artifacts that don the walls many of which carry inscriptions, Pecos Bill had some mighty impressive friends. It seems that every trail eventually led to the Tall Tale Inn and Cafe. And, and, and that part of the sign is, I think, very important because it's telling you right there, for most people that obviously walk right by it and don't read it, it's telling you about the articles and artifacts that don the walls. It's telling you there are hidden treasures all over this place, and you probably aren't going to be paying attention to them as you're trying to get out of the heat and, and scarf down your burger to make your fast pass time for Big Thunder Mountain. Um, but, but there are so many great things that are scattered about there on the walls. Lots of great hidden details and lots of references, like you said before, to you know characters from folklore and literature as well as Disney characters as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it starts off right near the, uh, the, the lines to get your food. There's a fireplace, and the fireplace there... Is uh, has a big picture of Pecos Bill above the mantelpiece, and that is Pecos Bill as he appears in Melody Time. He's on Widowmaker, and he's got his two uh, lassos twirling at each side of him, and the lassos are in fact hanging from hooks on the mantelpiece, and his hat is also hanging from a hook nearby. And clear nearby, I think it's close in that same room. Um, his six shooters are are on display, and that's right near the entrance there. Now. From Pecos Bill, the actual, you know, cartoon, um, Slewfoot Sue has an, has kind of an area to herself. And this, her area is near the entrance that's kind of over towards the Adventureland corner. Um, the cafe is, is kind of strange. It kind of, help me out here, it kind of merges or sort of mold, melds into the um, pirate, what's the pirate restaurant name? El Parada y El Perico. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> That's the extent kind of, of my know, bad Spanish right there. 
Yeah, it, it's you, you. You're sort of you go down. Like I said, everything's so dark there. It drives me crazy. You're, you're going down, and you know the one of the things that's always been key to me there, almost as important as the fixing bar, is that's one place where I know where the restrooms are. <laughs> you know, as, as I'm coming up and making that right hand turn from Adventureland into Frontierland, I go, oh, okay, they're in here. <laughs> well, you know, you, I was going to mention this later on, but you you said something that I think is important because the restaurant is themed, you know, beautifully. And if you enter in from the Frontierland sign, you definitely get that feel of a Western sort of saloon-type atmosphere. And as you walk down the hallway towards the Caribbean Plaza, towards the Adventureland sign, you really see the influx of that Southwestern influence of Mm -hmm. the architecture. You see, you know, that dark kind of, you know, I won't even try and use the Spanish word for it, but, you know, a a very, you know, Spanish-Mexican-Caribbean influence in that dining area off to the left-hand side that, as you're right, almost connects to, you can almost walk through the seating area of El Parada y El Parada. It's, it's subtle, but it's beautiful if you really pay attention. Yeah, it transitions very well right into Adventureland and Caribbean Plaza. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's where Slew Futsu, her picture hangs there. And once again, it's a big picture, and it's as she appears in Melody Time. And nearby, she has some accessories. Uh, she has spurs and gloves and... On the glove, she has an inscription that reads, To Billy, all my love, slew foot Sue. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then directly, if you head directly across the hall, there's where Widowmaker is. And uh, it's his picture, and then nearby he has like a, a riding bridle, or I'm not a horseman, but it appears to be like the bridle. And a um, little piece of trivia I'll throw at you here. Um, Widowmaker, the term, is used where else? Some some movie is screaming at me in the back of my mind. Uh, something was something was called Widowmaker. Uh, Ooh, I'm getting my pen and I'm putting another notch here. Right <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, thanks for coming. Um, enjoy the rest of the week. <laughs> Have a short career. <laughs> okay, well, no Widowmaker. If you go, sort of just walk on across the the way there to Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Widowmaker is the name of the explosives company that is on some of the barrels and crates in the queue area. Very nice. Very nice. Very well done. I'm they're located in Den- they're located in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. So I don't I don't know if that has a, you know if that's just I, I was really curious when I saw it if you know, I'm sure they had to have made the connection to Widowmaker the horse, but I was also just wondering, you know, Widowmaker explosives just to play on the term Widowmaker. And again, continuing, they, you know, continuing that whole, you know, attention to detail throughout yeah. the entire land over to Frontierland, uh, yeah. to Big Thunder Mountain. So, but if uh, while we're if we're there in the cafe, those were the three, you know, Pecos Bill, Slewfoot, and Widowmaker were the three from his story itself. But then you've got all the other folks, and the vast majority of them have a Disney connection. Um, there's a few that don't, but the vast majority do, and probably the biggest you know, of the stars there is Davy Crockett. And Davy Crockett has a spot on the wall and he has a, his his like his bag and his powder horn. And most people, even even the younger generation, are still pretty familiar with uh, how big Davy Crockett was. He was huge in the nineteen fifties. He was literally a pop culture phenomenon. And uh Fess Parker played Davy. So he has his little area. Coonskin hats were all the rage at Disneyland for a while. And I, yeah, I kind of have a feeling that they probably wanted to put a coonskin cap there, but it probably wouldn't have lasted. I guess, you know, there was no way to permanently mount one <laughs> you know, without it, you know, walking off. Well, well, Davy Crockett, I mean, he, he made a, a relatively brief 
um, you know, appearance in Walt Disney World via his Explorer canoes, which unfortunately are no longer there. This, I mean, you actually were able to get in a, in a canoe, you know, a free-floating canoe on the Rivers of America with obviously a cast member guide and, uh, and get a workout and row your way around the, uh, the Rivers of America. Mm-hmm. Along with the Mike Fink keelboats. Yep. And the interesting thing with that is Mike Fink isn't in the Big Coast Bill Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I have my little list down later of some, you know, some interesting omissions. So he and Pecos must have had a falling out. <laughs> he didn't make sort. the cut. <laughs> no, he, he never brought anything back interesting, you know. <laughs> but um, Johnny Appleseed is represented. And Johnny Appleseed, um, one thing to mention again, is that he was actually in the film Melody Time as well. There was a sequence in Melody Time that was all about Johnny Appleseed. Um, and Dennis Day, uh, a very popular singer at that time, he told the entire story, did all the voices for it. And actually, it's kind of funny, you know, I, Melody Time is one of my favorite Disney films. It's, it's kind of, you know, critically through the years, it's had some mixed reaction. There's a lot of people that like it, and a lot of people are indifferent towards it. But it's one of my favorite films. And the Johnny Appleseed sequence in it is just, I just love it. It's just very, very heartwarming. It's just, it's, I really, really enjoy it. Um, it's got a lot of heart to it. Have you ever seen it? You know, I, I have a vague recollection of seeing it um, years ago, but not so much that I would remember. It's uh, it's something I should add to the collection because I think it does contain some some pretty good scenes and classic scenes in there. Yeah, again, it was it was one of those ones where they kind of you know picked it up and threw it in various uh, you know episodes like the Tall Tale or the folklore episodes that they would do on uh, Wonderful World of Disney. And speaking of that, then another one that was always making it into those episodes is Paul Bunyan. And Paul Bunyan was a Disney cartoon from 1958, and his axe hangs on the wall. And his axe actually has an inscription on it, and that is two Pecos from one giant to another. Uh, best wishes, <laughs> Paul Bunyan. Going from there, we've got John Henry. And uh, John Henry is kind of interesting is that the his material in the, um, in the, in the cafe actually predates his actual becoming a Disney cartoon. Uh, Disney uh, did a short uh, for him based John called John Henry, and it was uh, done in the year 2000. And again, really, really nice piece of animation. It was kind of done as an experiment, um, very different in style, um, kind of very off the radar. Uh, they have it on a collection, a DVD collection out right now, and it's, it's a really nice piece of work. But it actually came out afterwards. But an interesting bit of trivia, there was a Disney live-action movie that I was going to mention as well, and kind of bring it up now, because it was called Tall Tale, uh, and it was came out in 1995, and it actually had Pecos Bill as the central character in it, and he was played by Patrick Swayze. And, really? Yeah, and it was a Disney Disney movie. It was kind of, you know, very mixed reception. It didn't did so-so at the box office, so it kind of just kind of came and went. But um, it had the characters of Pecos Bill, John Henry, Paul Bunyan, and I want to say, and you know, we can the listeners can call in and totally correct me if I'm wrong in this, but I want to say Oliver Platt. Yep. Played Paul did, Bunyan. I did a quick look up and, and right, Oliver Platt. Wow, it had it, it had some Oliver pretty Platt. big name, names in there. Yeah. And um, are you googling? <laughs> <laughs> I have all the stuff at the tip of my tongue ready. <laughs> What's Google? But, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, but, uh, but John Henry was in there, so actually the live action version. Of John Henry predated the cafe, but the animated version came out a little bit after. 
Uh, but really recommend that if anybody gets a chance to, to see that. Um, it's really, and it's a, it's a short, it's only about 10 minutes long. Hmm. So, now there's an interesting shelf in one room, and it's the shared area. It's a shelf that, and it's, it's just kind of bizarre because it's two different characters on one shelf who have absolutely nothing to do with each other. And it's Georgie Russell and Casey Jones. Now, Georgie Russell, you know who Georgie Russell is? He, he was part of the whole Davy Crockett. He was a friend or a brother or cousin or dated Slew Foot Sue or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was Davy Crockett's best pal. Okay. And uh, he was played by Buddy Epson. Um, in fact, if, if you go back um, and watch uh, the um, early Disneyland, you know, I think even the opening of Disneyland, he and Fess Parker were actually there for that live broadcast they did. And, uh, and Buddy Epson is actually, where is Buddy Epson? Um, one man in MGM dream. Studios. One man exactly. Dream. He's he was the um, basis. He was the model that they used for that initial um, mechanical miniature man that they used as when they were researching audio animatronics in the very very early days of that. And it's so funny because I think for so many of us in my generation and maybe the generation before us, we think of Buddy Ebsen as the guy from the Beverly Hillbillies, not you know some sort of wonderful tap dancer that would really be the model for the first animatronic. Yeah. <laughs> He was Jed Clampett. Right. Yeah. He'll always be Jed Clampett. <laughs> but uh, the, the interesting thing is they, the Georgie Russell and Casey Jones, and Casey Jones is the, um, he's uh, based on, uh, let me get my notes here right, he's from the real-life engineer John Luther Jones, who lived from 1863 to 1900, who died in a locomotive crash in the year 1900 where he supposedly sacrificed his life by crashing his engine into another train or slowing the train down or whatever and he sacrificed his life but saved the rest of the passengers on the train and well Disney in 1950 they turned that into an animated short because this guy's legend had grown he kind of become a folk hero of sorts and the cartoon was called the brave engineer and that's where the whole term Casey Jones comes from people hear Casey Jones and actually you know, Casey Jones Jr. is the name of the train that's in Dumbo and then mm -hmm. went on to be the uh, train ride at uh, Disneyland. That's kind of all derived from the legend of Casey Jones. And, of course, Disney, you know, they can't have the guy die at the end, so he lives. <laughs> you know, his whole, the entire train falls apart and he lives. So they, they had to put their little spin on it. But on the shelf, there's a coal bucket and some oil cans that kind of represent Casey Jones. But on the left side is Georgie Russell, and it's just got sort of that sort of frontiersman kind of bag paraphernalia. But then it's really interesting is there's a letter, and if you actually, you got to kind of get up on your tiptoes. And what I did is I got up there with my camera and pointed it down and then actually took the picture and then read from the picture. It's, a, it's an entire story he's written about um, Davy having this shooting match with uh, a guy named Bigfoot Mason. It's literally the narrative written on the letter that's, like, sitting on the shelf there. And if you get kind of up there on the tiptoes, you can actually read it. See, that's the thing that's amazing to me, is that some Imagineer took the time and effort to put that kind of detail on something that 99.9% .9 of the people who visit Walt Disney World are never going to see, other than geeks like us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy, why is that man holding his camera up? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why is this guy in, in uh, uh, security? We have a guy in Pecos Bills at nine forty in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> What's he doing in there? The, so. There's stuff on some of the stuff on the walls that I really like. 
is surprisingly or not surprisingly not Disney related. And, and as somebody that that's a a big you know poker fan and poker player, oh, I knew you were going here. <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of great great poker references on there. There's uh you know there's there's playing cards from Annie Oakley. But the thing that I love and, and that I notice all the time is Wild Bill Hickox. Um, he's uh, got dead man's hand. Dead man's hand of, of a <laughs> pairs of aces and pairs of eights. Aces and eights is known as the dead man's hand because, according to legend, that's what he was holding when he was shot. When he was playing, uh, he was shot in the back actually when he was playing poker. So, um, it, it's a great. It's nice to see them bring some of those other other elements into Pecos Bills and add that that another level of realism and detail to it. Yeah, you got you got him. Um, yeah, I was good. Like the non-Disney kind of references is there's Kit Carson. And that's got a map and compasses. And the actually the interesting thing there was Kit Carson was a very popular non-Disney TV show in the early 50s. But when I was doing some digging here, Disney did a two-part episode of The Wonderful World of Disney in 1977 that was Kit Carson and the Mountain Men. So there was actually hmm. ended up being a Disney connection for Kit Carson. And um, Jim Bowie, um, and I don't know, maybe you, know, you being the poker guy can explain this to me. There's Jim Bowie has a case, and of course it has the Bowie knife. And... There, there's a really kind of remote connection there is that the character of Jim Bowie was in, you know, he was the, famous for the Alamo with, like, Davy Crockett, so he actually appeared in the Alamo episode of Davy Crockett. But there is a poker hand in his case that is four kings and the ten of spades. Any idea? Other than a really solid hand I would raise with, I, I, can't, I can't think of any kind of reference to it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, he'd win against Wild Bill, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess it was just, I looked at that and I was like, okay, I, I got the knife, <laughs> but, you know, I don't get the poker hand. I'm sure somebody out there is screaming at their iPods. If you know, by all <laughs> means, uh, email, you know, email us at lewwdwradio.com and we'll, uh, we'll put it up in the show notes. But um, yeah, they're, they're, one of the other ones, the big ones is Buffalo Bill Cody. Um, he's on there with his boots. And one, that's another one that has an inscription on it. That one says, to my good friend Pecos, from one showman to another. And uh, there's a Disney connection there. However, you know, it's uh, the Buffalo Bills Wild West show at Disneyland Paris. Wow. Um, and actually, he and the character of Annie Oakley appear in that. But the one thing that I have, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this one, and this one's the one that's just kind of an enigma to me, and maybe it's just a very simple explanation. But, of course, we don't, we don't enjoy the very simple explanations. <laughs> we want the complicated ones. There's a case, and it has a mask in it, and it has a bullet. So, now, you know, being of a Disney mentality, when I first saw it at the distance and saw the mask, I assumed Zorro. But when you get a little closer, it's a mask and there's the bullet. So then I started going, is that Lone Ranger? Mm-hmm. Well, the little plaque or whatever that's next to it, it's blank. <laughs> really? I don't know if that's vandalism, neglect, or they got sued by whoever owns the Lone <laughs> Ranger. I mean, so if there's... Anybody out there that has any guesses on that, or if there's an Imagineer that knows the explanation, or if it's just missing its little tag, I'm I'm assuming it's the Lone Ranger because of the bullet. I, I can't figure out any bullet connection to Zorro. And the mask, obviously. The mask would, yeah. would, would bring it right over to the Lone Ranger. I, that, next time I head on down, I have to go and, and check it out and see. Maybe it was just down, maybe it's gone. But that's pretty much, that pretty much, I think, wraps up all of the cases on the walls. I mean, that's great. I mean, Jeff, that, that, that is just great stuff. And again, it, it serves to illustrate that you really need to interact with your environment and take the time to look around, whether you're in an attraction or a queue or a shop on Main Street, whatever, or even a restaurant like this, 
so often there is a story and there's so many wonderful, wonderful treasures that are hidden around that you can really kind of take some time and look around and enjoy. And we're going to kind of, in future segments, and explore some of these other Disney scene investigations, as you call them, uh, and really kind of delve into what there is. So by all means, you know, take your time, look around, enjoy and explore and interact uh, for more about these, you can check out some of Jeff's articles over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And by all means, go and check out his blog at 2719hyperion.blogspot.com. I'll put links to both of those up in the show notes. Jeff, thank you again for um, not only making me hungry, but um, <laughs> helping us all with a little bit of uh, some of the fun details over at Pecos Bills. Absolutely. I enjoyed being here. Thanks, Luke. Well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. I want to thank you all for tuning in once again. I also want to thank our special guests, including Pam Forrester from The Magic for Less, Fred Block, founder of Magic Meats. You can get more information about the Magic Meats fan meet at magicmeats.com. Jeff Pepper, go read his blog on a daily basis over at 2719hyperion.blogspot.com. And as I do each week, I want to direct your attention to some other friends of the show whose work or services I enjoy and highly recommend. This week, I want to remind you to go visit The Magic for Less Travel. Again, thanks to Pam Farzer. Go to wdwradio.com. You can click on the link for more information as well as a link to their site for all of your Disney vacation planning. Remember, their services are free and they also offer exclusive free gifts with most of your vacation packages Thanks again for coming on, Pam, and for sharing your thoughts on the new Disney Cruise Line ships. Some other sites and friends of the show include Tim Foster's Guide to the Magic.com. I really recommend picking up his four-book collection that includes the Walt Disney World Guide to the Magic, The Lost Journals, which is a very cool kind of secret and little-known fact book, The Guide to the Magic Journal, the Guide to the Magic Autograph and Sticker Book, and coming soon, this is the one that I'm really looking forward to, his Guide to the Magic for Kids. Tim is going to be at Magic Meets this year. Definitely go and check out his work. Again, that's GuideToTheMagic.com. Please go and support the efforts of our voice man and good friend Jonathan Dichter at his blog at VoiceOfMouseTunes.blogspot.com. I'll put a link up to that in the show notes as well. Other podcasts I want to recommend include The Meandering Mouse, and I want to congratulate Jeff on celebrating his one-year anniversary, um, as well as to all of his efforts over in founding and the successes at the Disney Podcast Network. Also go and check out Paul Barry's WindowToTheMagic.com. Let's talk about Disney, Lou and Bob over at Beyond Main Street, WDW Today, and so many more. On upcoming shows, I have lots of great interviews already in the can, including an exclusive interview with someone I know you're going to enjoy, another one that shares some insider information about some details about going on at Walt Disney World, a friend and colleague who shares some great information and tips about a yearly Walt Disney World event, and so much more. Speaking of Disney World, I'm going to be heading down from March 1st through the 8th of this year, but uh, I will still get a show out on Sunday the 4th, so no worries there. And listen, if you are in or around Walt Disney World during that time and want to say hello, please let me know. Shoot me over an email. We'll try and meet up. Or if you see me in the parks, I'm the short guy with the wife and two kids, probably in some sort of DisneyWorldTrivia.com regalia. Please come on over, say hi, cut in line, share a ride, whatever. I'd love to meet anybody who's a listener. 
Again, I cannot say thank you again, and please don't let my repeated show of appreciation seem insincere. Um, The show of support that you've all been giving me lately on a daily basis, really, has been amazing, and I am grateful to all of you for taking the time out to send me emails and to send me voicemails. I'm really having a lot of fun doing this. I hope you can tell, and I hope you are as well. Uh, Like I said, this show is for you, and I will continually try to tweak and improve what I do week after week. Many of you have already sent in some great segment topics and ideas, and I promise lots more fun stuff to come, including our first new contest, more trivia, new segments, and so, so much more. Speaking of which, about segments, I wanted to get to do another one of the seven wonders of Walt Disney World this week. I just, you know, ran short of time, so I promised to get to it in the next couple of weeks. So you can please still submit your thoughts via email, voicemail, or post in the message forums about what you feel qualifies as a true wonder of Walt Disney World. Is it an attraction, a show, an engineering feat, a technological marvel, or just something that really qualifies as magical? And speaking of time, and running out of time, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to continually try and play around with the show lengths, and I want, to let you, I want you to let me know what you think. You know, do you want them longer? Do you want them shorter? What do you think is a good time? Again, I'm going to try and, and play around with it, uh, you know, different weeks depending on what I have on the show. So also, continue to let me know what segments you enjoy and what you want to hear more of. As I said from the beginning, this show is for you, and I want it to be as interactive as possible. So thank you all again for tuning in. Please help spread the word, and I'll see you next time. See ya!